the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but we're not going to try to hit the whole thing. We're going to go verses 1 through 15. And as I bring up each time, Paul is responding to a letter from the Corinthian fellowship. He's answering questions that they have written to him via the letter. And most of them revolve around Christian liberty. And I've got to tell you that it's typically uh, a flesh motivation that draws us to these these questions. We want to know what we can do. We want to know what we can exercise in our flesh. Because I want to tell you something. Liberty, as the world would define it, is a completely flesh exercise. And even Christian liberty, as the religious world defines it, becomes a fleshly exercise. I don't need any liberty in, in heaven. I don't need any liberty in my spirit. I am completely liberated. I am completely free. Everything that my new creation wants to pursue, embrace, enjoy, I have. And I have complete liberty to enjoy it. So when we talk about Christian liberty, typically what we're talking about is what is allowed for the Christian to do. But what real Christian liberty is, is freedom in Christ. In Christ, not in flesh, in Christ. So, chapter 8, we looked at and Paul addressed the issue of whether or not a Christian should eat meat that has been dedicated to idols. They wrote him that question. That's because some of the weaker brethren weren't participating in that. They were grieved by it. So the stronger of the bunch said, you know what? You guys just need to grow up. We enjoy that meat and it's cheap. And we want it. So Paul responds to them by saying simply, listen, guys, the problem is not the problem. The question you asked is not the appropriate question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, he says, Now, Paul answers them and says, Now, food will not commend us to God, nor bring us close to Him. We are no worse off if we do not eat, nor are we better if we do eat. Only be careful that this liberty of yours, this power to choose, 
does not somehow become a stumbling block, that is, a temptation to sin to the weak in conscience. You see, the issue is not whether or not you're free to eat, but whether or not you exercise your freedom in love. Whether or not you exercise your freedom in love. Listen, we're free to do a lot of things. But we got to look at the heart behind the things that we pursue. And when self-indulgence becomes the principle of our, of our drive, then we are fleshly. We are carnal in what we do. Because of our new birth, we have been set free from the law to be governed by our new nature and its union with Christ. We live in the liberty of our new birth. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, true freedom. See, there is freedom, and then there is true freedom. And true freedom is freedom in truth. When we talk about Christian liberty, we're talking about a liberty that has its origin in Christ, not in the flesh. So, we have been made free, and free is completely free. The angels are amazed at the freedom that we possess because it's wrapped around an intimacy with God that they can't even participate in. It's wrapped around a a personal relationship with Him that even the angels do not participate in. A oneness, a union. We are free. Completely free. Now that freedom encompasses all aspects of our Christian life. It is a freedom to go forward when we fail. Oh yeah, that's part of it. A freedom to be able to get up, dust off your knees and go forward without spending the rest of your life or the next few hours groveling over your sin, focused upon your pain, focused upon God supposed condemnation, literally the freedom to reckon upon the finished work of Christ, to get up and walk forward in victory and in faith. Now that's freedom. That's a freedom that most Christians deny. Because they want to be the source of their righteousness. They lose that freedom. I'll give you another freedom. The freedom to love, the freedom to give, the freedom to forgive, the freedom to be all that Christ is. Well, you say, wait a minute, I've tried to be those things. I can't create those things. Listen, the freedom of this is that you have been created to be those things. It actually is natural for you. Most churches will sit around and tell you what you've got to become. I'm going to tell you what you are. And you have the freedom to live in it and express it and live in the truth of it. Christian liberty is the liberty to love and to be loved, to forgive and to be forgiven, to bless and be blessed. True liberty is spiritual. True liberty will always be an exercise of the love of God, the very character of God. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let everything you do be done in love, motivated and inspired by God's love for us. Okay, where's the source? Where's the motivation? If I'm asking questions about my liberty in Christ, what is the motivation of those questions? Is the motivation of those questions what I can do? 
or is it love? Let me tell you about something about love. You want to know what love is? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we will. But in quick measure, I can tell you that love is defined by the person of God himself. And if your liberty and your freedom is all about walking and living and embracing and interacting and communing with God himself, it is true liberty. If it's anything short of that, it's liberty of the flesh. I've said this many times. You know, guys, heaven's just real estate. What makes it glorious is God. You have the liberty to walk in that glory today. Now, if you can't exercise liberty and love, get this. If you can't exercise liberty and love, it's not liberty, it's self-indulgence. I'll say that for you again. If you can't exercise your liberty and love, it is not Christian liberty, it is self-indulgence. Now that'll answer a lot of questions for you, won't it? That's the truth of it. Now, this was the issue for the Corinthians. They were carnal, and they were wanting to exercise their liberty, not out of love, but out of selfishness. They felt that they were within their rights. They wanted Paul to tell them that they were free to indulge their flesh. They stood in pride, believing that their knowledge of the gospel was superior, and therefore they had a right to exercise their liberty and did not have to refrain or restrict themselves in these things. So in chapter 9, Paul is going to answer their argument by naming some of the privileges that he had a right to claim, but chose not to in order to better serve the Lord's purposes in that place. Now, I got to tell you that for most pastors, at least I think those who are pure in heart, this chapter has some difficulty. It's difficult to preach to some degree because it concerns the need of the church, even yet the command of the Lord concerning the need of the church to support their ministers, to support their ministers. And you know, it, it, it would seem almost self-serving, but listen, guys, you know that we go through the Bible book by book and scripture by scripture. I have no agenda here. I want you to hear the heart of God concerning this passage. Nothing in the word of God is there by accident. Everything that is written in there is written there for your profit so that the spirit of God can articulate it for you. Not so that you can understand it with your flesh, but so that the spirit of God can articulate it for you. I also want to say at the outset that a church that is man-centered in its dynamic, will always have an issue with money in some way or another. You'll see churches completely split up the center over money, quicker than anything. They split over a lot of things, but money is primarily it. A Christ-centered fellowship gives because it is their heart. It is the Father's heart. And i got to tell you that this little fellowship has always been free in this respect, I have, I have no criticisms concerning this little fellowship. Now let's look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Paul writes, Am I not free, unrestrained, and exempt from any obligation? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our risen Lord, in person? Are you not the result and proof of my work in the Lord? Now, Paul's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, don't I have the same freedoms to claim that you do? In fact, I am an apostle. I have met the requirement. We know in the book of Acts, it is set forth that one of the requirements of an apostle was that he had, in fact, met the risen Lord. Well, Paul met that requirement. Paul had seen the risen Lord. And those who began the church, which were the apostles, those who began the church actually went forth testifying of a personal relationship with the person of Jesus. Now, this is really interesting because we began with the gospel being proclaimed through men and women who literally had met and been with the physical Jesus, but only referenced his physicalness, his humanity, to point to his spiritual presence within him, to only point to who he is as king and as savior, to only point to the resurrected Jesus who literally lived in them. So our Christian testimony, this gospel that we believe, started out with people who were proclaiming a personal relationship both with the physical Jesus And with the resurrected Jesus. You see, it's about relationship. They didn't come forward with a gospel that was based in their understanding. We know that the apostles understood very little of what Jesus spoke about when he was on the earth. They didn't come forth with a list of principles that they had collected by virtue of listening to Jesus teach. They came forward speaking and proclaiming the salvation of the Lord through a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Now that makes Christianity the strangest religion on the face of the planet. Because no other religion puts you in a personal relationship with your God. Every other one has you serving Him from afar hoping to win his pleasure. And you know what? Any time that you begin to feel like you're estranged from God and you find yourself doing things in order to court him, know that you have taken on the spirit of religion in your thinking. You have literally put yourself in danger of joining the apostate church. Walk away from it. Enter into the freedom and the liberty that is yours. Embrace the truth of your relationship with him. So Paul says, I've met the requirement as an apostle. I have met the person of Jesus Christ. I'm walking in a personal and intimate relationship with my God. Now Paul also presents the ministry of Christ in the fellowship of Corinth as evidence of his calling. He says, you know what? You guys are also evidence of my calling. Because there was nobody there that could deny the work of God in that place. Now they can make a lot of complaints, they could point to a lot of weaknesses, and every one of them had something to do with the temporal and with the flesh. But none of them could stand up and say, God has not moved here. Because every one of them knew the salvation of the Lord, or at least most of them. And you know what? This was really brilliant, because... Uh, These Corinthians were actually boasting in their superior spirituality, yet 
the one teacher that they wanted to marginalize and really didn't want to fully embrace was Paul. And Paul is standing on his bona fides as an apostle by the work that was done among them. He's pointing at them. He's literally saying, look at yourselves. Look at the truth of God within you. Does this not tell you that I am, I am a minister of the Lord? 1 Corinthians 9, 2. If I am not considered an apostle to others, at least I am one to you. For you are the seal and the certificate and the living evidence of my apostleship in the Lord, confirming and authenticating it. Paul writes, you cannot deny my calling because you yourselves are the proof of my apostleship. Paul sees them as, as saints, even in his rebuke. And you see this over and over again with Paul. Paul will address their behavior. He will rebuke their behavior. He will rebuke their attitude. But he'll proclaim the truth of who they are. He'll point them to the truth. That's what he's doing here. He says, you are in Christ, basically, is what he's telling him. He uses them as evidence of his calling and authenticity of the work of God. Now, 9.3 says, This is my defense to those who would put me on trial and interrogate me concerning my authority as an apostle. First of all, what he is saying there, he makes the statement, those who would interrogate me and put me on trial. He's going to start acting as a defense attorney here, laying out his case to authenticate his rights, his privileges as an apostle. That's what he's going to do. But he says, when I stand before, and this is, this is really kind of cool because some of these people that are in that congregation are the very ones that want to deny him. They're the very ones that want to reject him. But what Paul is saying is, is he's pointing to them and saying, you're part of my authentication. You're part of the reason people can look at me and say, now there goes a man who's in the ministry of the Lord. He says, now that I have presented to you the evidence of my authenticity as an apostle, I'm going to begin to, uh, with some rhetorical questions concerning my rights and privileges as apostle. Now, he starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. He says, question, Have we not the right to our food and drink at the expense of the churches? Have we not the right to take along with us a believing wife, as do the rest of the apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, Peter? Paul is asking, do we not have the right to be supported by the church? Is it not our right to take a wife? You see, Paul is claiming the right to an income that would support him, both him and a family. He's pointing also to the rest of the apostles and he says, look at them. They have chosen to take wives with them. They are supported by the churches. Don't we, and isn't we, he means him and Barnabas, don't we have that same right? Now you can see what Paul is doing. He is making it very clear that he has rights and privileges. He has rights and privileges. But there's a higher law that he works from. We'll make that plain later. 1 Corinthians 9, six, He says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to stop doing manual labor in order to support our ministry? 
Are we the only ones that have to work with our hands? Are we the only ones that have to be bivocational? Shouldn't we have the right to, because we are out there working, shouldn't we have the right to receive from the people of God? Now, Paul isn't saying that he doesn't get any support from anyone, but he is saying that he never demanded his right to have it, but it is his right. It is his right. He and Barnabas chose to earn their way during their stay there, doing work outside the church. Now, look at verse 7. Consider this. He gives an example here. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Paul gives three illustrations. And he says, now you wouldn't even think about asking a soldier to go out there and fight for you without compensating him, without at least supporting him, providing him with a living. You know, the world accepts this standard of obligation and fairness. It's only right that the church, and it should be noted that the work ethic came from God first. It should be noted that the system of economy came from him first. This is not the world's invention. They've co-opted in order to manipulate and to use the lives of men for their own use. But God, God considers work a blessing. He considers it a blessing, not a curse. It is man that has turned it into a curse. The world accepts this, and the church should exemplify this, but even more so. Now listen, it is an economy, it is not a charity. Okay? You work and you earn. If you work, you're owed a wage. That's the point he's making. If you don't work, then you depend on others. That's the way it is. Now, our society, unfortunately, rewards the idle and makes them victims. You know, there's so much abuse in this area, and we shouldn't use the abuse to excuse disobedience concerning God's heart to give, okay? But... To continue to pay the idol to be idle is demoralizing, and it's wrong. And it, it causes, and many times, it, it enables wickedness. Charity should be given to those who are truly in need, and then only in obedience to the Spirit. Feeling good, now get this, feeling good about giving is something that both the godly and the godless enjoy. Okay? Giving out obedience out of obedience to the Spirit of God, regardless of your feelings, is something only the child of God can do. Okay? Now, we need to understand something. It's more difficult to know how to give today than it's ever been. Because of the way our society has framed charity for us. I want you to understand the definition of charity comes from the heart of God. His desire to give, to enrich, to nurture. It's a father's heart. It's a father's heart. And he defines charity for us. But what's more, it is his to give. It is his to give. And everything that we have that we give from is his to give. We are not giving of ourselves. We are giving of his provision. And that is an important point. Because when we withhold, 
When we hold it back and we refuse to be obedient. Now, this is in the context of obedience. When we refuse to be obedient, what we refuse literally is the blessing of God. Because from God's point of view, it's kind of like you parents with small children. You hand them a quarter or a nickel or whatever to put in the plate. Why do you do that? So that they could experience what it means to give. So that they can begin in practice to give. In the same way you teach them manners and you teach them to brush their teeth and you teach them the functionality of being human and being right. You teach them to give because it is important. It is an important part of the expression of who they are or will be in Christ. That they live out of the Father's heart. Again, in the context of obedience. Because I want to tell you something. I nor you know the heart of the one we're giving to. But he does. And it is not our position as sheep to make that determination. We yield our hearts to the Lord and we walk in truth. And he directs us. But you know what? Just like church service, doing for the Lord, there's a lot of giving for the feel-good in the church today. There's a lot of enabling for the feel-good in the church today. And as I have said before, most of the giving that is recorded and endorsed in the Word of God and Scripture is from the body to the body. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.